Welcome to Mosaics, a podcast featuring the vibrant and diverse stories of refugee resettlement in Idaho. I'm your host, Holly Beach, with the Idaho Office for Refugees. Our guest today is Zeze Rasama, the director of the College of Southern Idaho Refugee Programs, which resettles refugees in Twin Falls, Idaho. As a child, Zeze dreamed of becoming an engineer in electronics, but his passion shifted to helping refugees after he himself became a refugee in 1995. Since then, he's held several key roles in and outside of the U.S., helping refugees integrate into their new communities. Zeze holds a master's degree in public administration. He's married with four kids at home. Welcome, Zeze. Yeah, thank you. I'm happy to be here today. Yeah, thanks for making the drive. Really appreciate it. It's a good drive. <laughs> it is a good drive yeah. and a good day. Yeah. Um, well, I just want to give people a chance to get to know you. I've really enjoyed being able to work with you the past couple of years and I uh, wanted to learn more about you and, and where you came from and where you are now. So let's start out from the beginning. Can you tell us a little bit about what, what childhood was like for you, where you grew up, what your neighborhood was like? Yeah, thank you very much. Um, my childhood um, was uh, a, a, a good one. I enjoyed the life that I I, I had at that time with my family. And I think uh, comparing to uh, our neighbors and, and, and other people in our, uh, in our village or city, if you can, you can say, um, we, um, we had a, a, a good life. Uh, my dad um, worked for the government of uh, the Democratic Republic of Congo. Um, he was a vet. Um, his job was to make sure that any meat that is, is sold in the market is inspected by him and approves um, 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 the sellers to sell. Um, so that job uh, made us move um, to different, uh, different places. Um, in 1980, that's when he, uh, we started move, living in a, in, a, um, in a, I would say, a very small town, which I, I, I can qualify it as a, as a village which uh, that's when um, I came to understand what life is. Um, it was beautiful. Um, it's an area called uh, uh, Masisi. Um, this is an area uh, that is known to be called the Switzerland of Africa wow. uh, because it's, uh, it's, it's uh, f- uh, f- occupied by farmers, um, and uh, the majority of them are cattle keepers. And uh, uh, my dad also had uh, a, a farm with uh, uh, cows as, as well. Um, so it was, a, it was a beautiful life, I would say. Um, now, things started changing when... Um, uh, in 1994, um, that was about 14 years after we moved in an area, and my dad um, thought that that's where he would retire. He wouldn't um, uh, move from uh, from uh, that area, and had invested in 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 in, in land and in 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 in. in, in things, assets that would make us uh, uh, make that area home. 
1994, things changed. Um, a big, uh, uh, horrible, unfortunate event happened in the in in next door country, the Republic of Rwanda. They had a genocide of 1994 against the Tutsis in Rwanda, and um, um, where. Um, Close to a million people died in 90 days. And um, uh, um, the, the killers, those uh, 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 killers that are known to be um, known by the name of Intera Hamwes, um, in coalition with the, the government of Rwanda at that time. And when I say the government, that means uh, uh, the police, the army, um, and then the Interahamwes are uh, young people that were trained by the government to kill. So, so during that time, um, that genocide was stopped. When it was stopped, um, the the killers didn't have any other way is to leave um, Rwanda, and they came into the Congo. Something happened during that time. Usually, refugees, when they move from one country to another, at the border, um, if they were in, uh, uh, in the military, they would have to disarm them and leave all their military equipments um, uh, at the border. But um, in this specific case, that didn't happen. The, the government of uh, Zaire at that time, that's what, uh, the Democratic Republic of Congo was was called. The government of Zaire at that time let them come with um, all their military equipments. Now, in the Congo, specifically in the eastern part of Congo, there is also um, the Congolese Tutsis that um, live in in, um, uh, in in the Congo, and they live there. Why? Uh, because when they were dividing Africa, um, they did not uh, think about social groups mm. or they did it on purpose um, so they can divide uh, uh, local social groups in small groups so that they cannot uh, they, 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 just so they cannot fight back the colonial power that was coming to colonize Africa. So that's what happened. Some some of the uh, tribes of uh, 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 the Tutsis, uh, they found themselves in the Congo, and some other ones find themselves in big, large number in, 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 in Rwanda, some in, in Uganda, in Burundi as well. Uh, and, and that's how they became... Um, uh, Congolese, which uh, I'm a part of that tribe as well. So when they moved to the Congo, of course, you understand that they were trained to kill the Tutsis in Rwanda. Mm -hmm. Now they are in the Congo where there's also uh, uh, other Tutsis that are Congolese. They don't have anything to do with Rwanda. Um, So they continued killing um in 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 uh, in Congo um at that time i remember um i was in my 
I think um, in my fourth year of of of, uh, of high school. So in the Congo, there's a primary uh, school which is six years, and then there's secondary school which is six years, and then you get a a high school diploma. So I was almost done with high school in my fourth year, meaning that I had two more years to uh, to graduate high school in 1994. Then all the schools all of a sudden were closed, killings started happening everywhere, and these people that came um, um, were hunting all the Tutsis everywhere they could, they could see them, especially occupying their properties because now they are coming saying, well, we left our country then because of you, which it was unfair, um, um, and uh, and then they start occupying our properties, killing killing us. So at that time, my dad um, felt like that I should leave the area, um, should continue. Uh, my schooling, so we made an arrangement so I can move the village to Goma, which is one of the biggest uh, town in the eastern part of Congo, so I can go to school and finish my high school. So how to get there? I mean, there were multiple, I cannot name how many roadblocks of uh, uh, um, uh, this militias and these um, um, uh, trained uh, people to kill. Mm-hmm. Um, so every time a vehicle would come, they would stop it, and then they would choose who looks like a Tutsi. And I would say that many people that are not even Tutsis were killed just because of who they look like. Mm-hmm. Um, so I could not go through that road. So we decided with um, some of my friends, uh, was a team of seven, we decided to go to Goma, but um, not using the roads. We had to go through jungles, go through small, small paths, across rivers that don't have any bridge. And from where we lived... Um, to get to the tarmac road, uh, it took us two weeks. And two weeks of miserable life because uh, if it would be someone who is uh, walking, it would take probably maybe three days and you get there. But the, it took us longer because of hiding Every time we, we hear that they are killing people somewhere, we would hide ourselves in a, in a, in a, in a bush and wait and move at night. Mm-hmm. Because during the day, they would see you and identify you and they would turn you in. So our strategy was during the day, we are hiding ourselves in the bush. At night, we start moving. And I got to think, too, that along with hiding from the killers, there's probably wildlife, too, that you had to be cautious about. Did that ever threaten you? No, uh, um, we're very lucky. No, we didn't because, again, that area is is occupied by farmers. Um, uh, only when you you go through a jungle, there's a, there's a national park 
uh, that we had to cross, and that's where we were afraid that we were we may meet some wild animals, but we didn't. Um, uh, that piece of uh, that that portion of our journey, passing crossing through the national uh, park, we did that during the day uh, um, because there's no people. Uh, it was only us. And then when we reached at the the road, um, then that's when we we took a, a a taxi that took us to to Goma to start um, our life. So that's when I started living alone. Mm-hmm. I left. Uh, I, 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 I had to find my own apartment. Now there's no support. There's no way my parents could support me, food, uh, pay my rent, pay school. It was a very tough. Not only that, but also hiding yourself so that uh, if someone identifies you, they would, they would send people to kill you. I remember um, at that time, now I'm, I'm in, 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 in that town, and my dad is trying when he finds someone who comes uh, send me money so I can survive. And then all of a sudden, that support stopped. Mm. Now I was there thinking, my family died. Mm. Um, my family died. I have uh, five sisters and four brothers. We are uh, nine children plus my dad and my mom. So I started thinking, well, um, I don't know what's going on. Um at that time, there's no telephones. Uh, you couldn't call uh, and find out. But I start hearing that some refugees have crossed the border from um, the Congo. So at that time, I witnessed two movements of refugees that were happening at the same time. Mm-hmm. There were these Rwandans that were fleeing the Rwanda into the Congo. And now the Congolese that are leaving to to Rwanda in a country that was already a mess. Uh-huh. So across, I could see across the border, because Goma is right at the border with Rwanda. Across the border, I could see uh, 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 people that are refugees, and they would give them tents, um, and they would install these tents, and they would live in that. So in my mind, they are saying refugees are moving from fleeing from Congo into Rwanda, and that's where they are. But I don't know if my family is a part of them. Mm. But I started living my own life with not nothing. Um, one thing that is very important, I think, um, to mention is sometimes um, you're in hardship, but um, it, it's not a bad thing. You, you learn how to survive. And if you have hope, you would survive. The only thing I didn't lose at that time was hope. I was living in an apartment where I'm not paying rent and the landlord is on my back. Mm. I was living there without no money to buy food. But one day, um, I decided to go to the Catholic um, parish. Then I thought if I go there and tell them my, my problem, they may help me. Pay rent, and that's the only I want. I didn't go there for for food. And then this priest says, "Well, we don't have money. 
We don't have money, but the only thing that I can help you with, uh, I can give you this 50 kilos of uh, corn flour. And I said, okay, good. So I came with that at home. The, the apartment was in the same um, 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 property with the landlord. And uh, the owner, the father of that family, didn't want me there. Wanted to kick me out. Mm. But the mother was saying, well, where do you want him to go? I mean... Every time I think about this story, I think about this mom. Every time I'm helping someone who is struggling, I think about this mom. To the point where the husband was, was not happy with her because the husband was saying, well, I need this money to survive and we, we, we need to kick this person out. But when I came back with that 50 kilos of flour, then... I came and gave it to this mom. I said, well, this is all I have. And then the mom goes to her husband and says, well, can you accept this as rent? He said, no, 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 no. I want, <laughs> I want the cash. And um, she kept fighting for me. She didn't know me. She knew me just as a tenant. She kept fighting for me as, as her child. And then... The husband refused. What she did was she went outside her home and then start selling uh, the corn flour in, um, in, a, in, a, in a big cup. So people would come and buy, and then she would collect money that way. And all the money that she gets, she gives it to the husband. Wow. So the husband now starts saying, okay, well, something is happening. So I went back to the priest and share this story with the priest. I mean, I, I saw tears coming from uh, um, this priest because he didn't think that that was a solution of my problem. I specifically didn't go to, to, to him to ask for food. Mm -hmm. So when I went back, then he said, oh, if that works, then I'll, every month come back here, I'll give you two sacks of 25 kilos each but i had a uh, had not paid rent for 6 months mm. so so every month i go back there and um and then i pay rent that way but the only thing that kept me there i could have decided to cross the border and become a refugee like everybody but i didn't want to go before I finish my, my high school. I was in my last year of high school. I thought, well, I need, just need to go with my, my high school diploma. So I struggled that last year, but, but that's my journey yeah. to, to become. So then um, I decided, okay, now I have my paper, then I need to cross. Now in the Congo at that time, except of me having my student ID, I didn't have any other legal documents. Even until now, people don't have legal documents there. They just leave. Mm -hmm. So then uh, there was a UN mission that uh, every time I go to, to school, I would see their offices there. So I went uh, there, and I was, I was thinking, well, if I go there, then they would find a way of helping me cross the border so I can become a refugee. And I could see the 
the, 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 the tents for the refugee camp on the other side. Then this French lady uh, who was, uh, was there said, okay, I will help you. Then she started asking me my name, where I'm from, everything. Then, then I didn't know that her mission was to repatriate mm. Rwandans that are refugees in, in, uh, um, in Congo who are willing to go back. So, so someone who told me that, well, you can go there, they will help you to go. Then I was not eligible for the, the program. And then when she realizes that, no, I'm a Congolese, and for her she's repatriating um, Rwandans, then she said, no, 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 you leave. And, and she ripped that paper in front of me. Oh, man. So I left. Um, I could not, I didn't know what to do. How do I cross the border without no documents? So, so then um, I, I went to the, um, uh, to another, uh, these were now soldier, soldiers that were uh, UN troops. And, and I think I thought, okay, well, let me just go to this. I mean, at that time, I didn't even know these people, what they're doing, um, they have a mission, you know, and then all I knew is they were uh, peacekeepers. So I thought, okay, well, if they are peacekeepers, maybe they may keep me safe. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I went in, in, in this military camp of uh, UN peacekeepers. I met with uh, their commander there, um, and and I tell him my story. He says, well, that's not my mission. I cannot help you to cross the border. But he says, I understand. I have a son of your age. Mm. Then he said, I will help you. Okay? So he told, he told me, okay, well, I'm going to give you a pickup with some UN peacekeepers to take you to your place. At 2 p.m., I'll come back. I'll send some more people who would help you to to cross so you can become a, a refugee. At that time, um, I mean, usually refugees would cross borders and they would let them in. And that's what we know. But at that time, there was a tension between the, the new government of Rwanda and the government of Zaire because Zaire let these people go in with their, all their arms and their equipments, and their goal was to go back and, and, and attack them back. So they had to be tight at the border so that those people don't go back, the bad people don't go back. So I went home. They dropped me home. Now I'm in my home which I didn't have anything in that home. I had sold my mattress. I had sold everything so I can survive. And I had a backpack, have my few things in my backpack, waiting for 2 p.m. And I didn't want the family that housed me to know because I had six months of rent that I didn't pay. So I'm there, and then this this pickup with uh, uh, three UN... Uh, um, UN peacekeepers in it comes in to the to the place, and then I just walked out of the house. Everybody was there, and then I went in the pickup, and they saw me leaving. 
I didn't say goodbye to anyone, even to that mother who helped me. So I left because I knew if I tell them, they would stop me. They would say, well, you need to pay us. I had been promising them I would pay, I would pay, but I didn't know where the money would come from. So they took me to the border and there's two borders. One is the Congolese, Zaire at that time, and the Rwandans. So they helped me cross the, the, the Zairean's border. Now I was in a neutral zone. They told me, we cannot go there. Our mission does not allow us to go in that country. And they turned around, they left. So I'm, I'm in there in the middle, not knowing what to do. But I could see people passing by. You know, these people that have documents, they go there, they show, they pass. I don't have nothing. So now I'm thinking, I cannot go back. The only thing that I can do is just to go forward. So I spent about two hours in the neutral zone trying to find out what to do. Then I decided to move. So I moved towards the, um, the, um, the border of Rwanda. Didn't have nothing. I had all my student ID. So um, they asked me for papers I didn't have. So I explained to them that I, I want to go. I'm a refugee. I want to go to the refugee um, refugee camp. But they didn't buy into that because, I mean, the security was tight. They, they didn't want to let anyone who works with their enemy. Uh, now, not having paperwork, I'm a suspect. So they are questioning me, are questioning me. And then I see um, a person I know passing by. And that person happened to be a soldier mm. who is a Rwandan soldier. And these are uh, people that are from the Congolese um, Tutsi tribe. When they heard that the genocide was happening in Rwanda, they decided to go help to join. Mm. And and I see him passing. He's a, he's, a, he's a Rwandan soldier. Then I told them, no, no, I know that guy. And when he turned around, he saw me and he came to me. Then he told those soldiers, yeah, I'm, I'm taking him. I, I know where they are, his parents are. And he wow. knew because they had crossed the border. So wow. he took me to the camp and... That's where I met my, my family was in a refugee camp. Because yeah. until this point, you still didn't know if they were alive or not. No, no. I was just trying to become just a refugee, to go there and, and just like everybody else. So he, he, he took me there to the refugee camp and I met my, my, my family and life, new life started that way. It's amazing to me how many times the right person came into your life to vouch for you or to fight for you, and sometimes they didn't even know you. What do you make of that? I mean, I, 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 I think that um, when you're a good person, good things happen to you, regardless. Every time you do something good to someone, it's, it's just like planting good seeds. When the fruits come, you don't know when they would come, then the fruits will be good. Uh, I, I believe that until now because, and, and this is what 
uh, my also my dad was known for that. Uh, my dad, everyone in in the community, they would come every day to hang out with my dad. He was a social person, so so I learned that from him. And um, then then what happened to them was also horrible. Their journey from that area to now in the refugee camp in Rwanda. I mean, if it wasn't for him, for the good that he did for people, they were going to kill him. They came home, and I wasn't there, um, had left. They came home wanting to kill him, and then they took him, and they wanted to go and kill him at a a cemetery that um, was known for some reason, crazy reason, they thought, okay, that's where we want to kill this guy. So they took him, um, and and then um, they, they, they start shooting in the air just to scare him, I think, I don't know. But because he was a good friend of um, some government soldiers, Zairean soldiers that were, uh, in a in a in a in a post in that area, they heard the the, the gunshots. So then, when they um, went to intervene, so they start telling them, "Well, they uh, they have taken Rasama. That's Rasama is his name. They've taken Rasama to kill him. So they rushed uh, to follow, but they rushed to follow. They didn't know who took him, so they rushed." shooting in the air. And then all these uh, um, killers heard gunshots coming towards them. Then they ran away, left my dad alone. Wow. That's how he was saved. So they they took him home and that was it. He had said he would never leave that area. Um, Then that was it. And then, then he decided to try to find a way of leaving the area with the family, which he managed and and uh, um, left the area to Rwanda. So I united with my family that way, and then my life um, started. Um, but I would say that um, even though it was very difficult for me for that last year, but that was the beginning of my life that I have today. I stick with my goal of getting my high school diploma. Then when I crossed the border with it, I had opportunities because of just the high school diploma. Mm-hmm. And um, so I looked for jobs, um, uh, helping um, um, uh, people, and um, things went, went well that way. So in my, my bio... Um, I always say that my dream was to become a, an engineer. And, and this is a dream from when I was a little child. And my dad um, supported that idea. And, and that was the reason why I had to leave my family behind so I can go to a big town where schools are not closed, so I can continue um uh, going to school, but becoming a refugee, then uh, I was forced to help. 
and I started helping uh, the refugees um, and um, lived in Rwanda for six years. Mm. My family and I um, uh, was um, resettled in Salt Lake City, Utah, in 2001. That's quite a transition for, for your life. Yeah, big, was, big transition. What, did um, your whole family get to come? Yeah. Oh, that's great. Um, yeah, so we, we, we were a big family now. Um, until now, I don't know why uh, Salt Lake City was chosen, but being resettled in Salt Lake City was a blessing for me and for um, my, my family. At that time, um, we got in Salt Lake City, and then they didn't have uh, uh, um, a, a house or an apartment that would fit us. Mm. So <laughs> they put us in one complex, but in two separate um, apartments. Mm. And uh, um, I remember that the next day we came at night. In the morning, around 8 in the morning, then people knocked on our door. Opened, and they were the LDS missionaries. So many things came in my mind. Why am I in, in Utah? We didn't know anybody here. And now there's these people, good people, just come to say hello and um, they introduce themselves. They had someone who speaks French. They... They said, well, we are here. This is our contact. If you need anything, mm. contact us. I mean, that was the very first time in my life to see someone who, who shows you love from nowhere. Mm. And then I didn't know how they knew. <laughs> we, <laughs> we landed in Salt Lake City. So we took their card and... Uh, and, uh, you know, life started. So, no, now, um, the resettlement part of, of my family, I think it wasn't, um, it wasn't hard, um, than some of the big families that, uh, we resettled today. Um, I was the oldest. At that time, I was 25. Um, my dad didn't speak English. None of our, uh, my family members spoke English, but I wanted to go to school. So I remember um, talking to my case manager, second day in America, I need to go to school. <laughs> and this case manager told me it's not going to happen. Oh, no. And I said, why? He said, look, you have a big family. They rely on you. Everyone has to work so that... At, at some point, we'll put you in one big house. It will be expensive. You can't go to school. Then I said, no, I will go to school. <laughs> I mean, I just remember many of my, my, my clients today who treasure going to school. And I find myself telling them the same thing. So I, tell, I, I told my case manager that time, I will go to school. Third day, I decided to walk around asking people, and then um, walked about one hour um, because I learned that the, 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 the college of um, the Solid Community College was on the same road 
where my apartment was. Mm. So so they told me just go straight. You would see you would see it. You won't miss it. So I walked for an hour to get to it. They go in there. Um, they directed me to an, a, an advisor, enrollment ad- advisor. So I met with this guy. Um, we, we talk, we talk. Then, I mean, he's he's saying, "Well, you you're not fit for college right now. You're English. There's no way you you can do this." And then he remembers it. Oh, let me let me call my my friend who is a, a, a an English teacher. Let's see if there's a way. So he calls this English teacher. This English teacher said, "Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. The college has English classes. Mm-hmm. He can start attending English classes." Then I think he wanted a placement or or an enrollment as one of. Uh, um, maybe one of his outcomes. Mm-hmm. Then, then he said, "Okay, let me see what I can do. Maybe we can enroll you in in the program because if you are good at math and you wanna become an engineer, so what we'll do is we'll send you to this placement test, computerized placement test, and it's math and English. Then they will know what level of English it is, so they will determine." English you would you would start with and then your math so I said fine so I went and did um, this uh, this test I did very very well uh, in math and I, I remember they came back and said wow you you are you are past cal- calculus uh, um, college uh, calculus courses of math I said yeah I did I did that in 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 high school already, um, so they said, okay, well, I think the the, the computer science department will will, will accept you, wow. uh, but you have to take only one class of computer science, and then you take a bunch of English classes. I said, fine. So he enrolled me in the program. He got his his uh, his enrollment and then the english program also enrolled me so i start going see the fact that you're you surprise them with your math test it shows like don't assume you know someone's skill level just because you hadn't quite learned english yet you already had learned all these math skills and so at first he was ready to say you're not ready for this but he didn't know yet <laughs> right that's why it's very very important when you meet someone who doesn't speak english don't assume that they can't do what you want them to do. He also um, got an enrollment. Yeah, um, win-win. And, and I won also. So so now the problem came when I went back to my case manager and say to her that I'm enrolled in school, I'm so excited. And she said, oh, no, 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 no. That's not acceptable. Now, if you go to school, uh, we'll have to close your cash assistance Mm -hmm. because we are about self-sufficiency. You can get a job, support yourself, and then school will always be there. (laughs) So so then I thought it was a joke, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't. So they closed my cash assistance. Now I have an apartment. I don't have money to to pay, so I went to my the same guy to my advisor, and, and that guy is is a, a person that I 
treasure a lot because um, who I became today started with him. Um, so I went back to him and I said, well, I have to quit school. There's no way I can, I can pay my rent. Um, my family needs me. That's what my case manager is saying. And um, he was upset. What type of government program denies people education? Picks up the phone, calls the agency, and they told, they told him the same thing. Well, we, we are not, these are rules of the program. You participate in employment services, you get cash assistance. If not, you don't. So he was uh, upset. Then, without telling me, he picks up a phone and calls the, the manager of the school cafeteria. And he says, well, I have a, a young boy here who is good at math. Um, I think he can work there. Do you need someone? And then this manager says, well, yeah, I need a cashier. Okay, so he walked me down, downstairs to the cafeteria. I met with this this manager, um, tested me on on how to count money and interviewing me with a few things, and and he says, okay, well, I mean, with with this level of English, he 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 can uh, cashier for me because people go in and order themselves; they don't order from the cashier's desk. They just come to pay, and we will train him how to get money, change, or if it's a card. And so they trained me. The same day they trained me. The next day I came to start school, and then he told me, screw up that agency. That agency doesn't want you to succeed in, <laughs> in America. <laughs> so And, then, and then, then I stay that way. I worked at the school, and was able to pay my rent and was able to attend school. Now, that job was another key because of interaction with with students, with professors. I started getting friends that are professors. They come eat there. They, they're asking me story, uh, my story. I'm telling them and I'm learning. So every day I'm interacting with students in English and I'm taking classes at, at, at the same time. So that helped me to learn English fast. Um, mm. So so now I went to school and and and, and uh, got my associate degree in computer science. At that point, I'm still thinking about becoming an engineer. Now, um, um, something happened. I wanted to get a job, get a job in computer science before I go for my bachelor's degree. Had good grades, but I would say this, um, and, and probably for uh, other refugees that had previous education in, in, in their country, now they are uh, in this country, or also um, speaking directly to the professors that are teaching uh, these individuals Every time I'm in a classroom, I was the most quiet person because of being frustrated. I would, I would imagine why so-and-so is in this class. They already know the stuff. Because they are working already in that field and they are just coming, they have experience, they're coming just to get a degree. And those are the people I was with in, in the classroom. 
So the professor, the discussion, I wouldn't participate in it. It's 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 a different level of participation. It's practical uh, when they when when they are discussing in the classroom. So I would be quiet, quiet, but I would focus on the book. And then what kept me going to overcome my frustration is to see how I'm doing on my test. I'm doing better than them because I'm focusing on the book and the professor won't ask anything that is outside that book. So I'm getting better, better grades. Um, so I had better grades, but I didn't have experience in the field. I had a hard time to get a job. Mm. Then I didn't see the reason of going for my uh, bachelor's degree um, if if I'm not going to get a job at that level. But during that time, um, I was started working with the uh, refugee resettlement um, as a case manager, as yeah, at some point employment specialist and managing programs. And so then I decided, okay, uh, now I understand. In America, a degree, yes. Experience, yes. But both, it's better. Um, you can have one of this, you would... You have experience, you may even struggle to get, you have experience without a degree, you may even struggle to get even interviews. Mm. You have a degree, you get interviews, but you don't pass them. (laughs) (laughs) So so then I thought, okay, now I need to do something about this. So I did a a search and I find out that in in Utah at that time, there were lack of uh, math teachers. Then I thought I can I can be a math teacher and that would be my pathway to to become an engineer. So I enrolled myself at the University of, of, of Utah in a math teaching degree. And the reason why was I thought, well, if I if I enroll in this in this program which requires math teaching, I'll have an experience that will come with my degree. Mm-hmm. So I went and got all my uh, my classes in, and I was working on my teaching license. I did student teaching, and um, when I was ready to 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 go and be a teacher, and my plan was I would teach math in high school, and 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 then I would go to to school, get my masters and my PhD, and I would be an academic guy teaching college, university. Now my dream changed. Mm-hmm. So so then. I went back to my boss and I said, well, I'm giving two weeks notice. Now I have my teaching degree. I'll go teach. Then he told me, no, 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 no. You're not going anywhere. Come, let's let's schedule a meeting. We'll try to find a way of keeping you. And this was at the resettlement agency? Yeah, no, this was at the, um, now at the, um, at the state um, refugee um, uh, team. The, the Department of Workforce Services had a... a a team that was only processing um, uh, refugee cases. So so that's the team I was on. So I said, okay, so I listened to them, and um, they convinced me to stay. Mm. So I stayed, but not only that they convinced me to stay with, you know, better uh, uh, package, but also I was just thinking about my future. Now, what is all of this? But one thing that made me decide is 
during my student teaching in high school, oh man, those kids, those youth are very difficult to handle. <laughs> then I was just thinking, oh man, I'm used to this job. I feel comfortable with this job. Now I'm going to challenge myself. And, and the kids were not really nice, mm. difficult to control. And and so so then I'm thinking, what? Well, how long am I going to survive teaching in high school? So I decided to stay. Now, when I stayed, then I started thinking about, okay, what is the future? Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody around me, they have social work degrees. They have uh, human services, psychologists. Then I decided, okay, in, in order for me now, to build a career, I have to build it in where I have tons of experience, overseas experience helping refugees. And now uh, in America, I've been helping refugees. Then, then at that point, I decided to get a degree that supports my, my experience. And that's, that's um, very important in my everyday work. I always tell uh, uh, people that um, America is not like in other countries where you get a degree, people believe that you can be trainable mm-hmm. and they will train you because you have this degree and they will get a job in that field. In America, it's not like that. Um, in America, you may even get a degree that doesn't actually bring in enough money for you to survive. Mm-hmm. I'd love to hear about how your experience going through that process yourself, going through resettlement yourself, has shaped how you now work with people in Twin Falls and really help them find that sense of self again and that sense of home and, and belonging. Yes. Um, me, uh, myself, who went through all the hoops of uh, succeeding um, in, this, uh, in this life here in America, it does help me to view um, beyond what I'm seeing in front of me. Um, and I always uh, I talk to my uh, uh, my staff that um, that you cannot teach someone to have a good heart, but you can teach someone to have the skills. And uh, every time I remind them about um, just be have that heart of helping, and then. We'll train you, we'll give you the skills of, 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 of helping. Because I think with uh, my, 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 my life, um, I have always been um, meeting random people that uh, changed my life in many different stages. And uh, every time you're, you're helping a refugee who is new, so that your goal becomes that one person who is going to be the person that is changing a la- a- a lives of, of, of people. Um, so that's one. Second, when I see uh, a refugee that comes and I see how much work uh, is, 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 is being put in, and then in three months I see that refugee driving their own car, it makes me happy. It makes me keep going. Because in, in, in Twin Falls, when I first came, uh, moved 
for the job, I was just wondering, how am I going to do resettlement in a city where there's no public transportation? Mm. But as difficult as it is, many of our clients are achieving that fast in their resettlement process. And, and it's, it's hard work. So, and, and I think um, when I'm talking to my staff or to my, uh, my refugees, I like to bring them to the reasoning of doing the right thing, avoiding to harm someone because they've all their lives is being disappointed about. But the little thing you can do, giving someone one twenty-five bag of flour, can change the entire life of that person. And even the generation that will come after that one person. Right now, my kids, I consider that um, that they don't have any other excuse of not succeeding because I'm training them well, and I wouldn't be able to if some of these people that I named were not a part of my life, and and I would I would call anyone who is uh, get in contact with a refugee or an immigrant or even any other person who is vulnerable, vulnerable person who needs your help. The little thing that you would do may change the life of, of, of that. So that is the motive of when I'm doing my work is as difficult it is, but that's one small thing that won't even resolve the problems that that one individual have. But that's one one thing can change someone or can empower someone to change their own lives. I love that because you had your, you know, when you went through your experience as a young man, you had your own drive and your own hope and your own resilience. You just needed, sometimes people held the match up to relight that fire for you, but you still carried it. And I think that's, sometimes we can get overwhelmed by the need and there's no way we can solve all these the world's problems and it can be overwhelming but just thinking of just helping someone keep that fire alive um, so that they can continue on yeah one step at a time mm-hmm. uh, if you can help someone to move from having zero income to having one one dollar every month <laughs> that's a big step yeah. yeah uh twin falls has a very special refugee celebration day in june um can you tell us a little bit more about that yeah, um, every year we uh, have our Magic Valley Refugee Day um, in June. Um, and this year it would be on June 17th. June 16th. 16th, sorry. Yeah, June, June 16th. It will be a Friday evening. Um, we will have food for uh, uh, diverse countries. Uh, we'll, we'll have uh, culture performances from... Uh, diverse um, uh, cultures of diverse countries, um, uh, and 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 I think this would be one of the biggest one. We're expecting to have many people come to uh, 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 to meet refugees, to hear uh, stories of refugees one on one. There will be refugees there, um, but the 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 reason of organizing this it's a 
a way for our refugees to uh, say thank you to the community. Um, as a refugee resettlement, we cannot help the refugees succeed without uh, the support from the community. We have support that comes from all the surrounding cities of Twin Falls. And many of those will come. They are invited to come and, uh, and celebrate uh, not only the culture, not only the food, test good food, but also celebrate success of this sto- these refugees. There's so many of volunteers, uh, mentors that have been in, in lives of refugees from day one. And seeing them today at the refugee celebration, talking to them how they are doing, what they have been able to accomplish, it's, it's amazing. We, we have now um, countries that will be represented. Um, we'll have the Democratic Republic of Congo, Eritrea. We'll have Ethiopia. Uh, we'll have uh, um, Sudan. We'll have Ukraine. Would have Cuba, um, and all these uh, 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 refugees will be there to really show uh, their appreciation for what the community has done for them. And I would invite the community to come and celebrate because you've done uh, what the countries of origin didn't do for them. Imagine these refugees are here because their neighbors, their government, didn't want them there. And you were able to welcome them in this community and you help them succeed uh, in this life. So I think uh, anyone who can hear me now and who has time this day on the 16th of June in the evening, you need to show up uh, and be proud of being an American. Uh, some people would say, well, we, we're bringing refugees, we're using uh, our, our tax dollar. But yes, if your tax dollar can save a life of a human being like you, you should be proud of it. Mm-hmm. And yes, if, if, if your tax dollar can give a human being the human dignity that they've lost, For many years, some of our refugees have been in refugee camps for more than 30 years. Some of them were born in a refugee camp and become adults in a refugee camp, marry in a refugee camp, and have kids in a refugee camp. But if your tax dollar can help that person and everyone that would come from that family and change their lives for, for good... You should be proud of it, and you should show up and 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 uh, and support uh, continue supporting um, um, our our effort to resettle refugee rese- uh, refugees in Twin Falls. And then, too, the way that they turn around and give back, maybe that initial tax dollar helped, you know, people to get here and to resettle. But then, the contributions far outweigh any cost or expense. Uh, the human contributions and connections, the economy, uh, and the diversity that it brings far outweighs the initial yeah. cost. 
Oh, uh, that that is for sure. I mean, the initial cost is nothing to uh, compare to what um, uh, the refugees come with uh, in, in this country. Uh, uh, there's a, a, a case that I did study of a, a single refugee who came um, and uh, uh, looked at how much money we spent on that refugee to the point where we closed it. Uh, and then after one year, I requested his W-2 form to see how much tax he paid that year. And I was also surprised to see he paid more tax than how much we spent on him. Mm-hmm. Now, that is only the first year. Now, every year that refugee also is contributing to support our schools, to support our police, to support our cities, our communities, is now, after just one year, one of us. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you that refugees also are proud of that because when they, when they see a new refugee coming, they also are happy because they know they've been contributing in, in that tax fund that is also helping other refugees to come. Well, Zeze, it has been such a joy talking with you today. Thank you so much for sharing your story and sharing your heart. Really appreciate you being here. Thank you for having me here. Thank you for joining the conversation. For more information on how to be involved with refugee resettlement, please visit IdahoRefugees.org. Be sure to join us for World Refugee Day celebrations on June 16th in Twin Falls and June 17th in Boise. Mosaics is produced by the Idaho Office for Refugees with grant support from the MJ Murdoch Charitable Trust. Music by the Afrosonics.